Good morning. You can have a seat. Uh, my name is Norton. And um, about four months ago here in our community of faith, we started a big project together where we decided we're going to uh, read through the entire Bible together in a year. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, whether you're new to church or coming back to church, or you've been a Christian for a long time, this is something we wanted to try to do together. And um, if you've stuck with it and you're still doing it, it's been awesome. We've heard lots of great stories of what people are learning and seeing and all kinds of things. In fact, we even have a couple of uh, discipleship groups, small groups, that are meeting together weekly to unpack or explore some of the things they're reading and learning about. And we even have some video from one of those groups from a couple of weeks ago. So take a look so tonight we're diving in right where we left off last week was awesome yeah we're in matthew 26 which begins what we all know jesus's betrayal and ultimately his death um wait huh what jesus dies jesus dies we've been talking about this for two thousand years now Wait, like the Jesus, like, like this Jesus, like my favorite character, Jesus. This guy dies. How does he die? Pretty common knowledge. Well, it's not common knowledge for me. I just started season two. Season two. What's he talking about? The New Testament? Well, how does, he, how does he die? Who betrays him? Who will betray him? It was one of his disciples. Don't tell me it was Judas. <laughs> it was Judas. 30 silver coins. Well, he comes back to life. He comes back to life? Oh my gosh. Let's not take his name in vain. This book is nuts. This is an emotional roller coaster, man. This is better than Jack Reacher. Have you ever read Jack Reacher? It's really good. It's out of life. You should check it out. It's really good. I'm ready, man. Okay, Matthew. I have an unspoken for later on as well, but that's not important. All right, Matthew 26, everyone. Um, like I said, Jesus is just about to die. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so it's true. Uh, when we do read this book, um, if you haven't read it before, uh, there are all kinds of roller coaster moments. It goes up and down, and it's been interesting. Um, and today, uh, if you're reading along with us, we're actually entering a new section of the Bible that we're going to be reading over the next couple of months. Um, and this is a good time to pause and actually say, if you are new to our church, if you weren't here a few months ago when we started this uh, project together, or maybe you were here, or maybe you missed that we were doing this, or maybe you just had so much going on in your life, you were like, I cannot read uh, through this book. But now things are different, and you're thinking, maybe I should give it a try. This is actually a great time to jump in and join us in this project because um, we have all kinds of resources for you. Uh, we have a reading plan that we can give you. Um, we read on the weekdays uh, about a few chapters uh, every single weekday, and then we take the weekday weekends off, and you can take those off, or you can catch up if you ever get behind. And so far, we've read the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And then during the season of Lent, we read um, some Psalms, and we read a few books in the New Testament. But today, we're jumping back into the Old Testament and picking up where the Pentateuch left off. So if you wanted to join us, you could actually join us starting this week. And you could jump into this new section that we're going to read in the Old Testament, and then you could join us for the next eight months. You could just read through the reading plan, and at the end of this year, you could just keep going and go back and read what you missed in January, February, March, and early April. And then you would still read through the entire Bible in a year. So 
If you want to join us, we have tons of uh, resources at newdenver.org slash Bible 2023. The plan is there. You can download it. You can print it out and check days off as you go through. Um, there's also lots of other resources, suggestions about Bible translations, all that kinds of stuff. Um, so go there, check it out, and consider joining us on doing this if you haven't already. Um, so here's what I want to do today. I want to give you some background on where we left off in the Bible. Uh, so we read this section called the Pentateuch, as I said. It's the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It starts with the story we all know, right? The creation of the world and then the creation of this new people called Israel. And the main event really is the Exodus, right? We know this story where um, God rescues the people from slavery in Egypt, and then he leads them to Mount Sinai, and he gives them this set of instructions for creating a new society that's going to live in a new land. Now, it's not actually a totally new land. He's going to take them back to the land of their ancestors, where they were from. It's called Canaan. But for them, it will be new. And they now have this purpose or a vocation, right? And their vocation is going to be to be a people that are going to be a blessing to all the other nations and all the other people around them and really, ultimately, to the entire world. Now, there are some bumps along the way, right? They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. But eventually, Moses leads them sort of to the door of Canaan, and that's where the end of Deuteronomy happens, and now we're entering into a whole new section of the Bible called the historical books. And this will be uh, Moses has died, Joshua becomes the new leader of the people, and now he's going to lead them to settle into this new land where they're going to have to face all kinds of new challenges. So um, today, I just want to give you basically an overview uh, of this group of books called the historical books. So especially if you've never read the Bible before, or maybe you've skipped a lot of sections of the Old Testament because they're really hard. I want to help you understand a little bit more about this group of books. So we're going to go through a timeline, and then I'm going to tell you some traits and some themes that we're going to look at. And if you are already bored, especially when you heard the word timeline, right? Uh, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be like history day. Um, tough, it is, yes. Uh, <laughs> But I promise you, there's actually some really important things in this section. And I want to show you by the end of today that this is actually not just about history. It's not about something that happened a long time ago. This is about you, and it's about me, and it's about our lives, and it's about our journeys of faith. Okay? So, let's start with the timeline. Um, here we go. The Israelites enter Canaan in about 1200 BC. Now there's some debates about this date. It might have happened earlier than this, but there's slightly more evidence that it happened in around 1200 BC. So just to keep it simple this morning, let's just start there. And the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth describe the next 150 years or so. And this is called the period of Judges. Because there are these local tribal leaders, they're called judges, that are ruling over these different parts of Israel at the time. They're not judges the way we think of like courtroom judges. They're really more military leaders. And they're very localized. They're very tribal. And in fact, the nation is a bit chaotic during this period. And so eventually the people decide, what we really need is a king and a central government in order to unify us as a nation, and this leads into the books of First and Second Samuel, which describe the first three kings of Israel. The first is a guy named Saul, and then the second is the most famous king. You've probably heard of him. His name is David. 
And then the third one is his son named Solomon. And so during this um, about 120 years or so, under these three kings, this time period is often referred to as the United Monarchy or the United Kingdom. And that's because after Solomon, the nation descends into civil war. So there's two rival kings that want to take the throne after that, and the nation splits. The ten tribes in the north have their own king, and they are called the northern kingdom of Israel. They keep the name of Israel. And then the two tribes in the south, Benjamin and Judah, become the southern kingdom of Judah, and they have their own kings. And this whole time period for the next about three or 400 years is often referred to as the divided monarchy or the divided kingdom. Now, in the south is where Jerusalem still is, uh, and that's where the line of kings comes from David's lineage, and it continues there. And this whole story during this time is told in the book of First and Second Kings because it sort of follows the lineage of the kings both in the north and in the south. And that takes us all the way through. And then you actually come back in First and Second Chronicles tell the same story, but from a slightly different perspective. So 1st, 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles are kind of telling the same time period. Think of it this way. It's kind of like the Gospels in the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're all telling the story of Jesus' life. Sometimes they include some of the same stories, and sometimes they tell different stories. So that's the way Kings and Chronicles work. And then two significant events happen. Uh, the first is in 722 B.C., the Assyrians sweep in and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel. And then in 586 B.C., and we are certain about these dates, the Babylonians sweep in and destroy what's left of the southern kingdom of Israel. And Judah's kings and their priests and their leaders are hauled off and taken into exile back to Babylon. And this is a defining event in Israel's history. Really, the two most defining events in the entire Old Testament are the exodus and the exile, because their entire purpose as a people has been gone. Right? Their identity was wrapped up in, we are going to be a nation living in this land and being a blessing to all the people around us, but now they've been conquered, they're not a nation anymore, and they've been taken out of their land. And it's like they, are, they have lost all of their purpose and identity and vocation. Now... Eventually, some Jews are allowed to return back to the land under the Persian kingdom because the Persians conquer the Babylonians. And so the last three historical books we have are Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah, which describe some events that take place in the Persian Empire and these Jews that return to rebuild their nation in the city of Jerusalem. And that's where the end of the entire timeline of the whole Old Testament ends. Now... There's one other thing to add to this. Uh, there are two other major sections of books in the Old Testament. There's the poetry and wisdom literature and the prophets. And these, for the most part, are actually following the same exact years that the historical books are following. So, for example, many of the Psalms, which are uh, poetry, come from David's time or after David's time. Uh, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs come from Solomon's time or after Solomon's time. And then beginning in about 800 B.C., um, these prophets rise up in both Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And they began to deliver messages to the people about all the bad things that are happening in their nation and what needs to change. So it's really helpful to balance these historical books that we're going to read that sort of walk through the history with the poetry and the wisdom 
and the prophets that come from the same time period. So if you're doing this reading plan with us, here's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're going to read Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings over the next seven weeks. And that will take us all the way to that defining event of the exile. Then we're going to go back, read the poetry and wisdom literature, and then we're going to read the prophets. And then we'll come back and read 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Esther, and Nehemiah. And that will wrap up the entire Old Testament. All right? What questions do you have? I feel like we need to like stop there and pause for a second. Just, seriously, any questions about all of this kind of stuff? Is there a test at the end? <laughs> no test. No test. No. Yeah, I can talk briefly about that. So the question is, why is the Old Testament order of the books the way it is? Actually, it's a different order in the Hebrew Bible than it is in the Bible that we read. In the Hebrew Bible, interestingly enough, the last two books are the books of First and Second Chronicles. And it's this idea that they go back and they revisit their history and they revisit everything that went wrong. And it ends with the exile. And so there's a sense of this ending in the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew Bible that Jesus would have read and would have studied, that the people are still in exile and they're waiting to return to their vocation and their identity. And the last scene in 2 Chronicles is the king is in exile in Babylon and they're waiting for the king to return to Israel to establish the kingdom of Israel. So there's a different order in the Hebrew Bible. Um, Christians later uh, in the Christian time period said, that's really cool, but we think putting it in a more chronological order and then putting all the prophets together would be helpful. And so the order is slightly different, but it's the same exact content that um, a Jewish person would read in a Hebrew Bible. Any others? All right, yeah. Do we know anything about what happened after 400 BC? We do. We know a lot. And we're going to talk about it in about three or four months. <laughs> so hang in there, all right? Um, because that's referred to as the intertestamental period, because it's kind of the time between the testaments. But it's not like history stopped. Lots of important things happened between 400 <laughs> Uh, and the time of Jesus that really set things up for the, um, the culture and the time period that Jesus enters into where Rome is now the dominant power and the people of Israel are living under Roman authority, not the Persians or the Babylonians. So, but we'll get to that. Just come back in like three or four months. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's talk about Old Testament historical narrative. Because um, this genre of literature that we read here is different from poetry, it's different from prophecy, it's different from uh, parables that Jesus told, it's different from all the letters we read by Paul and others in the New Testament. And you would think historical narrative would be pretty straightforward, but um, there are a few important traits to just be aware of. So let me give you four of them real quick. Uh, first, um, historical narrative is historical I know, mind blown, right? I mean, amazing. But it's true. Uh, we need to stop and acknowledge this at the very beginning that what we're about to read um, are not fairy tales, right? They're not fiction. 
Uh, they're not parables. They're not fantasy. This is a historical record. And we're going to be reminded of that over and over and over like this. Uh, Joshua begins by saying, after the death of Moses, right? So we're getting a marker. Ruth begins by saying, in the days when the judges ruled. So we're getting told this that you're about to read happens during this time of the judges. First Chronicles ends, as for the events of King David's reign from the beginning to end, they are written in the records of Samuel the seer. So you're learning some things in First Chronicles, but if you want to learn some other things, just go back to Samuel's books and he'll tell you that. Ezra says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, right? So these books are telling us about real people living in real history, living in real places, and of course, there's all kinds of archaeology. We won't talk about any of that today. And there's other ancient Near Eastern documents that talk about the same kings and the same places and the same battles. And so it's all uh, corroborated. And it, it really helps us remember these are just historical records that we're reading. Now, that doesn't mean that there's just a bunch of facts and dates, right? As if there's going to be a test that we're all going to take on what the dates and the facts are at the end. Um, it's not told in a neutral and objective way. And in fact, that's an idealized view of history, that history is always told in this neutral, you know, objective, just give me the dates and facts kind of way. Um, no, this is a collection of stories that have a purpose to it. And that gets to the second trait of historical narrative. It is intentional. It's intentional. The stories that are included are chosen for a reason and for a purpose. In fact, they're written with that purpose in mind, and even details are included with that purpose. So, uh, for example, in the book of Judges, when things are chaotic um, and there's all kinds of bad stuff going on, here's what we're told. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So this history is actually written later in the time when there was kings. And they're reflecting back on things were chaotic back then. And do you know why they were so chaotic? Because there was no king to lead the people. So we're, so we're getting this preview that what Israel really needed during this time of Judges was a king to lead the people so that when we get to the book of 1 Samuel and the people say, we need a king, the readers are prepared for that. Like we know and we feel this sense that Israel needs a king. Or... Here's a story um, or an episode that's told from the life of David, and it starts this way. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. Right? We're being told every year in springtime, good kings go off to lead their nations at war and to fight the battles that good kings are supposed to fight. But this year, David doesn't go out with his troops. He stays behind by himself in Jerusalem. And you can almost sense something bad is about to happen as a result. It's not a random detail, right? We're being told, prepare yourself. David's about to do something really, really dumb. So historical narratives are intentional. They are purposeful, right? Now, uh, the purpose isn't always told to us. It doesn't start by saying, here's the purpose, right? And it's not always clear and obvious. Sometimes we are invited to explore what that purpose is, to wrestle with it on our own. In fact, isn't that what all good stories, all good films, all good works of literature do? They, they invite us to see ourselves in the story and to begin to wrestle with, why is this being 
told to us. Also, uh, the purpose isn't necessarily give us a model to follow. Right? We don't get all of these great examples or role models throughout the historical books. In fact, we get a lot of bad role models. There's a story you're going to read in Judges in um, a week or two about a guy named Jephthah. And the story is just going to break your heart. Because it's not being told to say, be like Jephthah. It's being told to say, this is what happens. These are the consequences when you make a really rash or dumb promise that you feel like you have to keep. And, and many of the Old Testament stories we read are like this. They're, they're tragic in this way. And that gets to a third trait. Um, they're realistic, right? These stories are true to life because they're about real people. And they're not fairy tales. They're not Hallmark movies. They don't always end. The guy doesn't always get the girl. The, everybody doesn't always win, right? People don't always make the right choice. In fact, there's a lot of tragedy in the Old Testament narratives. There's some comedy from time to time. There's some events to celebrate from time to time, but there's a lot of tragedy because historical narrative is realistic. Uh, one more trait, and this is a literary word that I want to teach you. Old Testament historical narrative is anthological. Anthological. So l- let me describe what this means. Um, this is a book. Uh, you've probably seen one of these. This is the Norton Anthology of English Literature. I did not write it. Adam told me earlier. He's like, you need to tell everyone in the second service. It's because you wrote it. Um, but no, you've probably seen one of these before. You've probably seen an anthology of poetry or uh, an anthology of some sort of literature. And what does that mean? It means it's a collection of writings. Right? It's a collection of writings from a whole bunch of different authors. Um, and so this collection happens to be the only thing that pulls all of these authors together is their English authors, and they were written in the 20th or the 21st centuries. But if you were to start to read all the different literature and stories told in this anthology, you would see some very different perspectives on love, on war, on death, on all of these different things. The point is, they're not trying to say the same thing. All of the different writings that are collected here are an anthology, and you're going to get different perspectives. The Old Testament narratives work the same way. It's an anthology of writings. Now, one of the things that pulls them all together is they're being they're basically telling the story of Israel, but they're written by different authors. They're written at different time periods, and they're written with different perspectives. So let me give you a quick example. Um, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, we actually get a pretty harsh picture or perspective towards foreigners. In fact, the Israelite men in Ezra and Nehemiah are forbidden from intermarrying with people of other ethnic backgrounds or foreign um, nationalities, right? But you have to remember the context. Ezra and Nehemiah come after the exile. And the Jewish people at that time strongly believed that the reason they had gone into exile is because they had abandoned God. And it all started when the men of Israel started marrying foreign wives and their foreign wives got them to start worshiping these foreign gods and these foreign idols. And that's when they began to abandon God. And so for Ezra and Nehemiah, they're like, we're not making that mistake again. Guys, no more wearing foreign women. And they're pretty harsh about it. 
But then you read this book called Ruth. And Ruth is all about this woman. She's a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. She's from a foreign land and she comes into Israel. And it's all about caring for her and loving her and showing hospitality to her and serving her. And she, a foreign woman, a Moabite, ends up marrying an Israelite man. And their marriage is celebrated. It's blessed. And in fact, it becomes one of the most pivotal and important and significant moments in Israelite history. And so we get these two very different perspectives on this one issue. But like any anthology, we hold these different perspectives together. We have to hold the tension and we have to figure out why are they both in there? What is their purpose? What do they mean without minimizing either of them? So that's what it means for historical narrative to be anthological. All right. So that's a few traits to just be aware of. And now let me share with you um, some important themes. So as we read these books together at the 30,000 foot level, and that's really the goal, right? of doing this in a whole year, right? At the 30,000 foot level, there are some patterns or some rhythms or some, um, some big picture themes that you can begin to see. And these are the ones that I think connect with every single one of our lives. Again, no matter where you are in your journey of faith. So the first theme is cycles of rebellion, repentance, and restoration. So you see these seasons and these cycles that the Israelites go through where they'll abandon God or they'll abandon their values or they abandon their vocation and their identity. And eventually there are significant consequences to that. And the consequences catch up with them. And when they do, the people often turn back to God. And that's really just what repentance is. It's a sort of religious sounding word to mean. They turn back to God and God shows them grace and he restores them. Well, the book of Judges describes this cycle over and over and over. Chronicles and Kings describe this cycle over and over and over. And it can be depressing at first. You're going to start getting tired of reading about this cycle over and over until you realize this is a lot like me. This is my story. I tend to go through these cycles too. Maybe you go through these cycles as well. And I think when we see ourselves in the story, it creates more empathy for the people of Israel. But more importantly, it helps us to see ourselves better. It's like holding up a mirror. As we see what's happening in this nation, we begin to see our own tendencies. And hopefully we begin to see that if we will turn back to God when we've strayed far away from him, he will show us grace and he will restore us. Uh, a second theme, as the leaders go, so the people go. So over and over, uh, the trajectory of the nation of Israel is really determined by its leaders. And that's not to say that there's not other people who are important and their stories are told, but the leaders are leading the community and the nation. And when the men and women have integrity and character and hearts with God, then their nation flourishes. But when there are men and women who neglect God, who abandon his instructions, then the nation suffers. And it's a reminder to us of a couple of things. First, it's just a reminder If you are in any position of leadership, 
It's really important. And I'm guessing that's most of us in this room, right? If you're a parent, if you're a boss, if you lead in, in the church or if you lead in an organization, if you are in any position of influence with or over other people, then there is great opportunity that comes with that, but also great responsibility because the leaders are always held more accountable for the successes and the failures of the community. It's also a reminder that we're all being influenced by people that we're following, right? The people that we look up to, the people that are our friends or our peers, the leaders in the communities that we are involved in, we have to ask ourselves, how are they shaping us in ways that we maybe don't always perceive? All right, one final theme. God's faithfulness, even as he mourns over his people's waywardness. God never gives up in the historical books. He mourns. He grieves. Sometimes it's written that he gets angry and frustrated with his people and and he decides at times to even let them experience the consequences of their own self-destructive choices, right? Like any parent has to navigate with their kids. And in fact, the exile is probably the greatest example of that, but he never gives up on them. He is always faithful to them, even when they're faithless toward him. And that's the story that Jesus tells us when he comes. And he says, God is like the shepherd who never gives up on the lost sheep. He's like the woman searching for this lost coin. He's like the father or the parent who never gives up on their child. But you don't have to wait to Jesus to learn that. You can see that through this long story of the nation of Israel. So if you are on this journey of reading through the Bible with us, stick with it. I know it's hard, I know it gets tedious at times, but hang in there. And if you're not, if this is new to you, if you've never tried this before, this is a great opportunity to jump in and join us. I think you will learn a lot, and I don't think you'll regret it. So let me pray for us. God, all of us do have a deep desire to live with purpose and identity in our lives. And we know that that is found when we're more connected to you, when we understand you, when we can live into the grace that you offer. And so whatever that looks like for all of us, teach us as we read these ancient works together, as we reflect on them, as we see and try to figure out our own place in the larger story of what you're doing in this world. I pray that you would give us the eyes to see. Pray, Lord, this in your name. Amen.